invite you to turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 67. We've been making our way slowly through the Psalms, and we're to a wonderful, wonderful Psalm tonight uh, that just exposes the, the mission of God and the, the joy of uh, the church in uh, seeing the, the God's name known through all the world. Psalm 67. Let the nations be glad. Let's read uh, this together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now for your spirit to come and teach us these things, to work these truths into our life so that we know them and feel them and our Lord, are being caught up in your, uh, your vision, your mission for the church. I pray that you would just give us that that blessing tonight, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. I'll start just by asking you to think about uh, what are the things that make you the happiest in your life? What are the things that bring you the most joy? Um, maybe it's a quiet dinner out with your spouse, uh, no kids, just nice um, Cold Chardonnay and, um, you know, nice salmon dish. Uh, I won't keep going because that will get carried away, but something like that, right? Or maybe it's a, maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's a, a, a great book and you get to read it sitting by the beach. Uh, maybe it's a job well done. Maybe it's seeing uh, your family do well. Uh, those are all things that bring joy to us. But, but what's the thing that makes you the most happy, that brings the deepest, most profound joys. Um, because Psalm 67 talks about a joy that, that is a joy that Christians should know, that a joy that the Holy Spirit works in the heart of those who belong to God, a happiness and joy that really surpasses any joys that we can find in the, in the good things that God gives us here in this life. Uh, and that joy is the joy of mission. It's the joy of seeing God's name magnified as he reveals his saving power to people, to sinners. Uh, we've been praying for Don and Pat Westray. Don, as you know, um, has a very serious brain cancer. And we're praying for his healing. And Don is too. It would give Don great joy um, if God would bring full and complete healing. But that is not what Don is, is primarily praying for. Uh, his greatest joy would be that God would would have mercy to his children and, and, and that God would, would call um, his children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what Don is very boldly asking for. Um, the, what Don feels for his kids is what the psalmist feels for the nations. It's this burden to see the nations come to know the saving ways and the saving power of God. For for. For the nations, men and women and boys and girls of every tongue and, and, and tribe to, to see the beauty of Christ and to come and know this Christ so that their, their mouth is filled with praise for Christ. His, 
The passion of the psalmist is that the world is resounding with songs of praise to Jesus. And so the the heart of the psalm is found in this repeated refrain, verses 3 and 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Uh, That is the spirit-wrought desire in in the heart of every true believer. Uh, The life of Christ within you will not let you settle for the temporary joys of life. The, The life of Christ within you will create a passion for the global and cosmic purpose of Christ so that we will not be able to be fully satisfied in this life apart from a participation in some way in the missionary cause of God. J. Campbell White uh, wrote this back in 1909, uh, just as true now as it was then. Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. It's absolutely true. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. I think that's absolutely right. And this vision for enjoying God's good gifts by using them for God's great gospel mission, that vision is God's vision for Harvest Church. And it's a vision that I'm praying God uses um, tonight, uh, that God uses this psalm to help us as a church move into this in a deeper, greater, more, much more intentional way. Um, we have a lot of growth right, that we could see here in, in terms of our sense of God's very specific call on, on our church and our lives to be engaged in a very personal and specific and intentional way in the mission. Whether that's here, uh, in, in, where we work, where we shop, or around the world. And I'm looking forward to see what God might do through his word in Psalm 67. So let's give our attention here. As we first, just want you to notice the pattern of gospel mission. God has a great mission, and he has a a way that he intends to accomplish that mission. Notice in verses 1 and 2, there's a request in verse 1, and then a reason given for it in verse 2. The request, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. This, of course, is the Aaronic blessing. This is the blessing that God said to Aaron, say this to the people on my behalf. Aaron speaking for God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. It's the most wonderful blessing in all the whole world. It communicates the greatest treasures. Um, Because, you see, for God to be gracious to you means that God is no longer angry with you because of your rebellion, your sin, your transgressions. It means that God has reconciled you to himself by his grace and that God does not deal with you any longer according to your sin, but God deals with you every single day according to his steadfast love and faithfulness in Jesus Christ. That's what it means for God to be gracious to you. 
And the essence of the blessing is to have the face of God shining upon you. Because the shining face of God means that He's cleared away every obstacle that stood between you and Him, and that God has come near to you with, with, with loving, engaged commitment to care for you, to transform you, to present you one day with a glory that you cannot even imagine. God is about something unbelievably big with your life. And it's not just success in whatever you might find to do in this world. He's got his, his, this grand, glorious vision of presenting you without spot and with great joy before uh, his own presence. That's what he's about. And to do that not just in your life, but in the life of all of his redeemed all over the world. So the, the smiling face of God is God leaning towards you in his grace and love with his omnipotent power, with his infinite wisdom and skill. God leaning towards you to make all those glorious things happen for you. God is he's your God and he's for you. And so when God says, give these words to the people, when he says that to Aaron, what God wants us to know is, is that this is what I will do for you. This is who I am for you. This is what you can expect from me, your Savior and your God. And, and since God himself has promised these things, then we are encouraged to pray for them. We have warrant to pray boldly. God, you have said you would be gracious to us. Be gracious to us. You have said that your face will shine upon us. Lord, may your face shine upon me today. I need to know that you are today my God, my Savior, my rock, my refuge, my shield, and fortress. We have, we have warned to pray these bold prayers with great expectation, great anticipation. You can pray with boldness. Lord, pour out on me all the blessings that you have for me. Material, physical, relational, spiritual, everything that you have for me in Christ Jesus. We do not live as paupers. We have a loving heavenly father. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. And so the psalm begins then with this, with this wonderful prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us. He promised he would. But notice there's a reason. Verse 2. Maybe the most important word in the entire psalm could be found in the first word of verse 2. That or so that. There is a purpose and an intended um, goal. So that your ways may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. In other words, God bless me just as you've promised that you would bless me so that my life may in some way make God's ways known in the earth. That, that in some way other people would be able to understand the saving power of God as you bless me. You see, the blessings are for mission. The blessings are for mission. That's a radical thought for consumeristic American Christians. We tend to assume that the primary designed goal, the intended purpose of the blessings that God gives to us is our enjoyment of them. That God blesses us with, with, we say, Lord, give me a, bless us with a good marriage and bless us with, with, with a happy family and healthy children and a good job. And, and when God blesses us with those things, we say, thank you, as we should. But in our minds, that's the end of it. 
the, the point is to enjoy the blessings, right? Doesn't Paul say that God richly provides us with everything good for our enjoyment? He does, 1 Timothy 6, 17. So isn't our enjoyment the true and proper end of God's gifts? Well, yes and no. Depends what you mean by enjoyment. If enjoyment just means what the world means, well then no. If enjoyment just means um, you're having a good day and, and you're loving life and you're just consuming and serving self, no, that's not what it means. In fact, Paul, the very next verse, explains what he means by enjoyment. When he says, do good, be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves and taking hold of that which is truly life. So the enjoyment that God intends as he gives blessings to us is the enjoyment of being a channel of grace, not a cul-de-sac. The blessings aren't supposed just to hit your life and stop there. They're supposed to flow through your life to bless others. That's the intended purpose. The greatest joy of God's blessings is not the joy of consuming them, but of sharing them. And the ultimate joy will then be sharing those blessings to the ultimate end that God is pursuing in the world, which is his mission. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all peoples. The psalmist here is expressing his great desire. This is what he's hungry for. This is what he longs to see. He looks around and he sees people walking in ignorance, walking in darkness, and, and he understands this is the great crisis of the world, that people don't know the ways of God. It's devastating. They know there is a God. The, the things that God has made have, uh, reveal that there is a God, but they don't know the ways of God. They don't know the saving power of God. They haven't been told about God making everything good and about Adam and Eve and the fall and God's promise to, to come and crush the serpent's head. They've not been told. They don't know about God coming to Abraham and promising to make Abraham the father of many nations and, and that through Abraham all the nations will be blessed through Christ. They've never been told the story of God rescuing Israel out of Egypt by his own mighty hand. They don't know about a baby being born to a virgin in Bethlehem. They have never heard about Jesus. They don't, they don't know about his miracles and his, his, his grace, his truth. They've never been told about his atoning death or his victorious resurrection or the fact that he's coming again. And they don't know about the gospel that the wicked, the ungodly can be justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That if they call on the name of the Lord, they can be saved, brought out of death into everlasting life. They don't know. They simply flat out, they don't know. The God of this age has blinded their eyes, blinded their mind, so that they waste their life on the fleeting things of life with no thought to eternity. They don't know the ways of God. That's the great crisis of the world in the eyes of the psalmist. That is the great crisis of the, of the world in the eyes of, of all the scripture. Think about the apostle Paul. This was the heartache of his life. The heartache was that, that Israel, the people of God, were zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. They didn't understand the gospel. And Paul felt this so deeply that he said, would that I could be cut off if only they could see. 
And he looked around in the pagan world of, of the day, and people didn't know. They were just completely lost in the darkness of their pagan religion. And so Paul's mission was to take up, or he was called to take up God's mission, to tell them. You see, people don't know, but how could they know? How could they know? How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Those are very profound questions for us today. How can the nations and peoples of the world know the ways of God unless someone goes to tell them? The Joshua Project estimates that there are about 5,000 people groups in our world today with 0.1% or fewer Christians of any kind and no evidence of a self-sustaining gospel movement. There are about 2 billion people in those 5,000 people groups. In other words, about one-fourth of the world that we live in today, people have almost no chance of hearing about Jesus from someone in their own people group. If they're going to hear about Jesus, someone is going to have to go to tell them. It's the only way they'll know. How will they learn the saving ways of God unless someone goes and tells them that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's an old song. I don't know if, if, it, if people still sing it. We sang it, I remember, as a little, little guy. Everybody ought to know. Do you know that song? Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Wouldn't you agree with that? Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Everybody in the whole world ought to know who Jesus is. That's the passion of Psalm 67. The great goal of gospel mission is that having learned the saving ways and the power of God, the peoples would praise God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy when you judge, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. This is, a, this is a, not just a sentimental wish for world peace, but it's a, a grand, robust, full-throated petitions for the nations to be glad in God. John Piper points out rightly that missions doesn't exist for its own sake. Missions exist for worship. The reason that, that there are such a thing called missions is because there are people who are not worshiping God, and God is worthy of His worship, worthy of His praise. Notice the, the repeated emphasis here about you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. That's the ultimate end. Um, the, the, the author wants to see the saving ways of God revealed so that people experience the saving power of God. And, and, and having experienced the saving power of God, they sing. They praise. That where before there had been a mouth just full of curses and lies and half-truths and, and, and hopelessness, that mouth now is, is, is filled with songs. Rep, just reverberating with the glories of God. Let the peoples praise you. That has to become the passion for God's people. It has to become the passion for Harvest Church. 
If we're ever going to have a, God, a culture of mission, a culture of engaging our community and speaking to them about Jesus and a culture of sending people into the mission field, if we're going to have that culture here at Harvest Church, we have to have the passion. You see, churches like any other institution, churches do best what they love most. And we need to love the thought of God being glorified in the salvation of people who before had never heard. Can you imagine anything more beautiful than going to someone who's never heard the gospel and explaining it to them and seeing God use that truth, that message, his gospel as the power of God unto their salvation. There's just nothing more beautiful in the whole world. So how do we get that? It's not by having another evangelism class or another evangelism sermon. J.D. Greer, I'm reading a book by J.D. Greer called A Gaining by Losing. And he, he points out that um, the passion has to, in a sense, come first. We have, to, we have to be gripped with what the psalmist here is seeing. Greer says, the French poet Antoine, I won't be able to say this guy's name. It's Antoine. <laughs> explained, if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You see, Greer writes, when a man yearns for the sea, his lack of know-how will not keep him landbound for long. He'll figure out the skills necessary to sail. Our problem is not that we haven't found the right program that enables us to reach the world. Our problem is that we don't yearn to see God's glory spread over the earth enough to build whatever ships are required to reach people for Christ and see his glory awakened in their heart. It's absolutely right. Shipbuilding manuals, evangelism classes cannot make people evangelists. Um, the know-how isn't going to fix the problem. But when you give people a vision for the glory of God and a vision for seeing people's lives transformed by the, by the, by the power of the gospel, when, when people have a, a, right, when they yearn for the vast and endless sea, they'll figure it out. They'll figure out how to talk to their neighbor. They'll figure out how to talk to their coworker. They'll figure out how to, how to give sacrificially for the, for the cause of missions or, or maybe even to go. Because, because they can't help it. God's great mission, God's great mission is, is to bring the joy of knowing him and his saving power to all the, the nations of the world. And in this world that's bound over to, to disease, to death, to decay, to, to uh, unspeakable tragedies, God's mission is to bring joy, joy to the world. The Lord has come. To bring joy to the nations as they come to know him and his saving ways. And the psalm ends with great confidence that this is exactly what will happen. The earth has yielded, yielded its, in, its increase. Mark Furtado um, points out that the, the Hebrew here is a, it, it should be read in the future. What the psalmist is doing is he's, he's saying something, he's so certain it's going to happen, he talks as though it already has. And so the earth will yield its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. He will bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The, 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 the writer has this absolute confidence that what he's yearning for is going to come to pass. 
that there's going to be a day when gathered around the throne of God, there will be men and women and boys from, and, and girls from every tongue and tribe and language and nation worshiping the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. It's exactly what you read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. He's absolutely convinced. Well, how does he know this? What, what, what is this confidence rooted in? Well, it's rooted in God's promise to Abraham. This is a psalm that's reflecting God's promise to Abraham. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the nations. And the psalmist, he knows this, that God's blessing doesn't just hit Israel like a cul-de-sac. God's blessings are supposed to hit Israel like a channel of grace, and it flows out to all the world around. And that God is going to be honored and glorified by all the nations. And of course, now we stand this side of Jesus Christ, the the seed of Abraham, and we see how God so much more clearly now has, has uh, made a way for the nations to be gathered in. The gospel has been made known, and now the mission is to let the nations know. J.D. Greer, in his book, again, uh, he, has a, he has a provocative quote there from, uh, from Christopher Wright, who says, Jesus did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. Jesus did not uh, give a mission to his church. He formed a church for the mission. Without a mission, Wright says, a church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. Without the mission, the church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. That's worth thinking about. Greer says, I can't think of anything more important than for the church to recover its missional essence. As we think about all the ways that God has blessed Harvest Church, I think we we would acknowledge that this is an area where we need God to bless us even more. Where God is giving us a a vision for the vast sea. uh, Where God's given us a yearning to see people converted. We get busy with our lives and busy with our projects and, and, and busy doing so many good things. And seeing God's blessing on those things. And yet the greatest joy that a church could have would be the joy of seeing not only our children raised up and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's that's essential and critical, but also the joy of seeing our neighbors come to know Jesus Christ and the joy of of using our lives in a way so that the gospel is being shared in, in other nations, in people groups, two billion people who don't know. Because there's no one to tell them. And I, the, the, just think of the, the joy that we could have as a church. Just one little church in, in all the world, but a church where we have, by the grace of God, caught the vision of the open sea. Caught the vision of God's great mission. And the joy of seeing God bless us so that we could be a blessing. We could see churches planted. Here in, this, in, in Grand Rapids, throughout the state, we could, see, we could be involved in church plants all over the world. God could do all this. The earth is, will yield its increase. Everything that God needs to accomplish that mission is here. We just need to pray for the vision. May God grant it. Amen.
Well, God, our Father, we are the church of Jesus Christ, called out of darkness to proclaim the glories of the one who called us. And Father, we confess that we've been easily self-occupied, caught up in the things of our West Michigan life, good things, family, work, vacations. But Lord, you, you have more for us than even all the good gifts you've given to us. Lord Jesus, you, you came to us and gave your life for us because you were sent by the Father. And you told us, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a church, an understanding of your calling, that you've sent us to Grand Rapids, to West Michigan, to proclaim the glory of our God, to make known his saving power. And that, Lord... You've, you've called us into this world in this day when, when so much is uncertain, when evil seems to be abounding. You've called us, Lord, to, to care for the nations, to have a burden for those who've never heard about Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would raise up in our church missionaries who would devote their life to telling others about Jesus, raise up pastors and and people that are willing to be sent. And, and Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our lives and understanding that we are all part of the mission project. And that, that we don't have our neighbors by accident. We don't, we don't work where we do by accident. But Lord, you've placed us exactly where you've placed us to be a witness. And so Lord, I, I pray that you, just, you would give us a vision for how deeply pleasing this is to you, how committed you are to it that you sent your only son, and that we would understand the grace that you've shown to us is so overwhelming that it compels, compels us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are compelled by the love of Christ, that, that our lives don't belong to us anymore because he gave his life for us. And so, Lord, we, just, we pray that you'd have mercy on us as a church that we would see you, Lord, by your spirit working this vision and mission in our heart so that we begin to take steps and overcome our fear and begin to love in a new and a deep way and see our possessions in a new way, not simply to be enjoyed but to be shared for the cause of Christ. And Lord, we ask, we ask this because we want your name to be magnified. Forgive us for being so comfortable with people who have no concern for your name. I pray, Lord, that, that you would move in our hearts to yearn to see people made in your image sing your praises. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and respond by singing, let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice.
Amen. And now as you go out into the mission field, go with God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, that his ways may be known in the earth and his saving power among all nations. Amen.